So when I was a, a kid, we, um, I have distinct memories of the, the Christmas season, and uh, the anticipation for me as a kid was always having to do with the, the gifts under the tree. And, uh, and as a kid, we would um, I'd try and identify what the presents were by the shape of the wrapping paper. Anybody do that? Uh, just a real quick poll, though. How many of you, the, the presents weren't un- put under the tree until... Christmas Eve, or, or maybe you woke up the next morning and they were there, okay. How many of you had that anticipation for the weeks leading up, they were there, and you had to, uh, okay. There's been some debate in my household, so um, I wasn't surprised to see my wife uh, raise her hand. Uh, the, the reality is, is that for Christmas, there's lots of mixed feelings, right? I mean, when you're a kid, it's magical and exciting. Um, when you, as you get older and the, the challenges of life come, we were praying this morning in our pre-service prayer. There's a num- for a number of us, the Christmas season brings some sorrow because we're reminded of the people that we used to celebrate with that are no longer with us. Just this last week, and for those of you who get the email, you, you saw this in the email um, that I sent out. Uh, I heard of one suicide from somebody, not that I directly know, but a, a member of our church knows. Um, there was an- another young lady that on her social media page basically made it clear this was the end for her and that she was going to take her life. She ended up not, thankfully. She had some people rally around her in the last moment. Um, but there's a, there's a mixed bag. And I, and I feel like the, the, the day after uh, th- Thanksgiving and the day after kind of captures perfectly this, the essence of the holiday season. Whereas Thanksgiving is this moment of family and of togetherness and of, of gratefulness. The day after, what do we call it? Black Friday. And there's a run on the stores to get as much as we can get. And as I mentioned last week, um, psychologists say now that for a lot of people, there's a trigger of this kind of anxiety around the Christmas season, and that trigger is Christmas music. All of a sudden, as soon as we hear it, it reminds us of the gifts we need to buy, because what? Every store is playing Christmas music. It reminds us of the holiday parties that we need to plan for and the food that we got to prepare. Oh, my goodness. It reminds us of the pressure of, what am I going to get dad this year? He has everything. And so our hope in this season is to recapture the essence of the Christmas season. And if for no other, uh, if no other days between now and Christmas are full of joy and peace and love and hope, we pray that this morning and the subsequent gatherings will be this time for you just to go, <sighs> to, to put your phone on silence, to not worry about the gifts that you need to buy. Those will be there in an hour. To not be stressing about the holiday parties. But for this, this time and this moment, just to consider anew, afresh what the season's really supposed to be about. So we're going to be starting a, a series, and we actually did this series last year as well, called Advent Conspiracy. Let's see if my clicker works here. Yes, no? Chad, are we getting there? Oh, it's right there. It's not, okay. So Advent Conspiracy. So what is Advent Conspiracy? We talked a little bit about um, what Advent is. And conspiracy is usually not a very good thing, right? <laughs> it's usually pretty subversive, and if you hear the word conspiracy, somebody's doing something they shouldn't do. So the reason we use this word with, connected with the Christmas story is right now, if we were to, to, to ask people to sum up what the Christmas season means to them, it would probably be a whole list of to-dos, right? So the conspiracy for us as believers is to recapture 
the original meaning of the Christmas story and what it means for us today. So in the lead up to Christmas, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the story of Jesus' birth with fresh eyes and considering how the greatest story ever told impacts us today. And so each week we're going to have a different kind of focus as we look at the Christmas story. And each week we'll start like this. This week is worship fully. The second week is spend less. The third week is give more. And the fourth week is love all. So these are the themes that we're going to be looking at. And I want to encourage you um, to check out on sunsetcommunity.church, our website. There's some resources that are going to help you in the Christmas season to focus on these things and to really hopefully bring some elements into your family celebrations um, that will coincide with what we're talking about. So both for families, for individuals, for groups. If you're a part of a group uh, on Sunday morning at 9, your group's going to be doing this already. Some of you have home groups. I encourage you to, to check out those resources that are on um, our website. And really what our hope is uh, through this series is to just to pause a little bit and to, to consider, are we being so driven by the celebration of Christmas based on the culture or based on the original story? And I mentioned this before, but um, my wife and I, we had to kind of pause in some of the things that we were doing, especially when our kids were young, to go, man, what do we want the focus to be in this season? Do we want it to be the mountain of gifts or do we want it to be why we're celebrating in the first place. And so, obviously, as a church, we, hey, we love to celebrate. We're de we've decorated our church building. Um, we're not going to be throwing everything out, saying none of this is good. But what we want to do is we want to we pause for a moment in this midst of the busiest season and say, what is this truly about? So as we start today, our first message is worship fully. Would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. If you're looking for the, the, the facts of the Christmas story, the, the story itself, you'll find it in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke record Jesus' birth and the events surrounding it. And we're going to look at one of those events today, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Now let me, let me give us a little backstory before we read this passage of Scripture. There was an announcement, there's an anticipation that something was going to change. And this, this awaiting, this advent, this arrival had been in part of the Jewish culture for thousands of years. There was a, a knowing that one day there would be a Savior that would come. Uh, uh, the word is Messiah, somebody who would, who would rescue the Israelites. Now, what we need to understand is in this time when Jesus would be born the Jews were living in occupied territory. The Romans were ruling over their homeland. So all of their traditions, all of their celebrations, all of their history, it was essentially being controlled now by an occupation force. And so this desire for a king, the, the heart of it was to be rescued from this occupation and to be reunited with their traditions and their values and to be able to be closer to God. So in this particular story, and you're probably familiar with the Christmas story, there was an angel that appeared to a young woman. This woman was not married yet, but she was engaged. She was betrothed, which is even more intense than our modern-day engagement. And an angel appears to her and says, you're going to have a baby. 
And she says, okay. In fact, you're going to be with child before you get married. And she thought, well, I've never you know, been with a man, so how is that possible? And this angel says, this is a work of God himself. So Mary was wrestling with this, and she has an encounter with her, her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant, miraculously. And in this interaction, Elizabeth calls out, kind of confirms what God had already revealed to her. And so Mary responds, this kind of nobody, this young girl who's not even married yet, responds with kind of a wow moment. And in that, she sings a song. Let's read this song together, Luke 1, 46 through 55. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary responds to this this news that's been given to her with worship, with a song. And as a response to the news of her pregnancy, Mary's deepest inner person, her soul, her spirit, is flooded with joy, with delight, and she directs all of her worship to God because God himself has seen her. Of all the people in the world that he could have chosen, God chose Mary. Now, again, remembering this story, Mary's young, she's poor, <laughs> she's pregnant out of wedlock, she's hiding in this obscure little hill town, she's living really what's a humble and unassuming life of obscurity. She's just a person, right? She has no reason to be beside herself with joy towards God. And in the world's eyes, she's a nobody, yet here she is, she's flooded with joy overflowing with gratitude so much that she bursts into song as her spirit soars. Why is that? The answer is because God himself sees her. Luke 1.46 again says, My soul glorifies the Lord, that's, that's giving glory to God, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. When you know that God sees you, your deepest inner person, your soul is touched, and you can't help but respond, but worship fully. Think about the things in our culture that we worship, the things that we think will bring us joy, and sometimes they do. What are those things? What are the things that bring us joy? in our lives and in our culture. What was that? A new heart. <laughs> a new car, okay. A new car, yeah. Yeah, get a new, new set of wheels, right? Woo! Maybe this thing will run better than my last one. I have some peace for a time, right? What else? What else brings us joy? Grandkids, Grandkids. yeah, absolutely. 
I was, I was talking with, with Aaron uh, today before worship time, and as, as challenging as work can be, our kids sometimes bring just that needed perspective on life, right? <sighs> we can exhale. What other things bring us joy? Okay, if we had a kid in here under the age of 10, they would say that new whatever, right? The new toy, the new Nerf gun, the new, those things, computer, job promotions, being recognized in your work, right? If you were to to take a look, zoom out uh, on the Friday after Thanksgiving and say, what are people most excited about? And looked across our culture, you would have seen me sitting drinking coffee. That would have been it, right? (laughs) But most people, a lot of people, I should say, were going out to get stuff to the mall, to the stores, the doorbusters, to get the, the, the best deals on all they could. And, and you would think, right, that those things would bring joy. Maybe they would for a short time until they realized the doorbuster deal was not really going to last very long, and that's why it was cheap. <laughs> so here's the thing. We worship things in our daily lives. We, we, we give our adoration, our focus, our attention to things that in the moment will bring us joy, but oftentimes, in the long term, aren't as fulfilling as we want them to be. And when Mary has this encounter with God, she's, a, she's just an average person, just living an ordinary life. Pretty obscure, pretty normal. And all of a sudden, God makes it known that he sees her, that he has a plan for her, he has a purpose for her. And Mary says something that I think we can all see when we realize that God sees us in the same way. She says, from now on, from this moment on, people will call me blessed. Holy is his name. When our lives are touched by God, we can say confidently the same thing that Mary says. And the reason for this worshipful response that Mary gives is that the soul's deepest longing is to be seen and known. Our soul's deepest longing is to be seen and known. That's why we will pour ourselves into our work. We'll work for that promotion. We'll take that extra job. We'll take that position that gives us some sense of authority. We'll we'll do whatever we can to be seen and to be known. There's something about being seen and acknowledged that, that even if it's temporary, lifts us out of obscurity. And it seems to validate our life. And so the hidden question many of us are asking is, does someone see my life? Does my life matter? Does it count for something? I have four children that as soon as I get home every day, the thing that they want to know is that their papa has seen them. The door opens or they're peeking out the window anticipating my arrival and they run up and they say, Papa, Papa! And I get inundated with all sorts of things. Don't tell me if you have older kids when that stops. I don't want to know. (laughs) But it's the desire of their heart to be seen by their father, to be seen by their mother. I have to say goodbye to each one of them in the morning as I go. And it's funny, you know, we, we, we think of kids in that way, but that need doesn't really go away as you get older. You still want to be seen. You still want to be known. It's, it's why celebrity is so intoxicating. 
These people that are known in our culture, they're seen, and so we must think, they must think that they matter. And so we must think the same thing. I, I need to be seen to matter. And on top of this need to be seen, our culture can breed isolation, which just compounds this need to be seen. And it compounds our loneliness. And it can feed our despair at not being significant and not being known. Maybe you work at a job where you feel like a cog in a machine, where you can be easily replaced. You're on the factory line. One person doesn't matter that much. Just replace them with someone who can do the part. Find another person to crunch that number, pour that drink, send that email. Very quickly, we can start to feel obscure, cosmically insignificant. I must be seen to matter. And so we have that desire. Something is radiating deep within me that, that I need to be transmitted. I, I, I'm going to implode. The, the world's going to suffer something if, I, if I'm not known and seen. And It's evident that more than wanting to be seen, wanting to see, we want to be seen. And we will do almost anything to be recognized. Just think of the word that was introduced to our vocabulary some years ago now. And that word is selfie. And everywhere we go now, we see people taking these pictures. How quickly the selfie has conquered the world, right? It's just a picture of our own face, but it's sent out to everybody and everybody can interact with it. They can like it. They can comment on it. I can be seen and known and made to feel significant. And I think this speaks volumes to our desire to be seen. So much that we would take a picture of ourselves and we'd doctor it up. Maybe we take 10 pictures of ourselves just to get the right one. And show people what, we are, what they already know. They already know what we look like. But this desire, it spills out of us. We long to be seen and long to be known. Now, okay, maybe you're not a, a big selfie person. But did you know that the average person checks their phone 80 to 85 times a day? or around seven times per hour. What are they looking for? When you check your phone, like we, I do this too. I'm looking for some sort of interaction, some sort of notes, some sort of thumbs up. Is somebody thinking of me? Is somebody seeing me? Please tell me that. Please tell me that. Please tell me that. There's this uh, artist named Antoine Geiger who captures this illustration of how the phone kind of sucks us in. And, and the, the amazing thing is that oftentimes when we're hanging out with people physically, that's not enough. Maybe there's other people. Maybe there's, maybe there's more affirmation, more seeing that somebody else can give me that will come through this device. So Antoine Geiger, he captures this illustration where he, takes, he took pictures of people looking at their devices and he, sh he showed his interpretation of being sucked into the phone. I'm going to show you a few of these images.
We have the headphones in, the device out. Guy's got a selfie stick. If you don't know what that is, ask a young person. (laughs) This is a great one. I'm going to take a selfie with the Mona Lisa. So we, (coughs) we worship... Sorry, let me skip here. That's, there we go. So it's important to be seen and to be known, and it's our deepest need. It's really no small thing. To be seen and to be known is something that God has actually placed inside of us. It's how we're wired. We're wired for relationship. We're wired to be connected with People. And so to be seen, to be known, is what our soul longs for, but it's always going to be incomplete when we're separated from God. Because ultimately what our soul longs for is to be known by the one who created us. Some of us can't put our thumb on that. Some of us don't even believe that there is a God. But the very one who created us is the one that we ultimately, our soul ultimately wants to know and to be known by. When you look at Mary's song, what is striking is that her joy comes from knowing God sees her in her current state, in her obscurity, in her humility, and in her lowliness. God sees her not because of her looks or her intellect or her societal status or importance. God looks and sees her exactly where she is. And the result is that her soul feels the infinite relief of being seen by God, and it is enough. It fills her soul, and she bursts into worship. Aaron and I were talking this earlier this week about joy. What is joy? I went through a season in my life where I was feeling kind of dull emotionally, and I, and I remember asking that question I don't know when the last time was that I experienced joy. Like, what does that even mean anymore? And I began to ask this question, and I began to to try and pray through it and read scripture about what joy was. And in that moment, in in the subsequent weeks, as I was really asking and wrestling with this and examining my own heart, I realized that joy was different than happiness. It's... the build-up to Christmas, the build-up to those presents when you're a kid, there is, there's a lot of happiness involved with that. But eventually, and if you're like me, sometimes by that afternoon, that happiness has kind of faded and kind of the post-Christmas blues hit you. Joy is different. Joy is not dependent entirely on our circumstances. Joy ultimately is rooted in a heart that is satisfied in its connection with its Creator. Joy, where where happiness is dependent on our circumstances, joy we have despite our circumstances. So in this moment, Mary, God sees her, and she has joy, not because all of a sudden she's got money, or because people are knocking on the door saying, Mary, you're awesome, but because God has recognized her and revealed his plan for her life. He has shown himself to her. And so she bursts into worship. She sees and experiences this joy, this worship in her own life. And she realizes something, though. This joy 
it's not just for her. She says, this mercy is for all who fear him, who respect, wait, and listen to God. The mercy of being seen and known is for each and every generation. For those who wait for God and those who trust in God. Verse 50, she says, and this mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So Mary, she has this experience with God, but she goes, wait a second. If God sees me, Mary, insignificant, obscure, and he shows his love for me, he must feel like that about everybody. And that's what the promise was. This promise of Jesus coming was for all people. And she connects to the larger story of what God is doing. That God has remembered her, but he's also remembered his people. Remember this promise of a Messiah. His gaze is on those who don't seem to have much to offer. Can you relate to that this morning? I don't have much to offer. God's gaze is on the marginalized, the poor, the hurting. These are the people that God lifts up. The proud, the seen, the important people of the world that trample the rest, they're going to be brought low. It's the people like Mary that God sees and elevates. And so we see that our, while Mary's response is to worship God, our response is the same. When we encounter God, we worship because of a few reasons. One is we worship because God sees us. God is both transcendent, that means he's far above, and he's imminent, that means he's near to us. Most religions focus on God's transcendence. God is up there. All roads lead to him. Just keep plodding along. But in Jesus, Christianity shows us a God that is both out there and he's here with us. One of the names given to Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we worship because God sees us. We also worship because God is powerful. We don't need a God in our image. That's not a God worth worshiping. God is powerful. And this should be a reminder, this Christmas story, that God is strong. He's stronger than anything else or anyone else in the world. And he's deserving of our worship because of that. The other reason we worship God is we worship God because God is holy. Have you ever had an encounter, maybe out in nature, where you go, whoa, look at that moon. Wow. Look at the mountain. The mountain is out. I love how we say that around Seattle area. Wow. Never gets old, right? When we see God, when we understand his power and his magnificence, we can't help but go, wow. And that you see me? You care about me? Oh, that's always for somebody else, right? No, God sees us. And it's in his holiness and in his awesomeness that we go, whoa, God is amazing. And we worship God also because God is merciful. There's no better place to see mercy than at the cross of Jesus Christ where he took our sins 
And he took our shame and he died in our place. And because of that, we can worship. The story, this is the story of Christmas, that God has seen us and that he sees those in need. This is why we as a church have chosen to celebrate Christmas this year by worshiping fully the God who sees and loves us and in response, see and love those that are in need around us. Just this last week, I was driving from my house in Fairwood to the church here. I was coming up Maple Valley Highway and where Maple Valley and the 405 intersect and there's an on-ramp to go north. I saw a lady had pulled off on the shoulder in kind of a place you shouldn't really pull off. It's coming off the 405. And she was getting out of her car and there's lots of traffic going on. And she was walking up to a man that was holding a sign. And I thought, there's a hundred excuses for her to not do that. Not just the fact that there's lots of people holding signs, but it's not even safe where she's doing it. But she, in the midst of the rush hour traffic, saw this man and pulled over. And I don't know what she gave him, but she gave him something. They even exchanged a hug. I saw this whole thing because I was at a stoplight. And she got back into her car and she drove away. And so for us as a church, we want to have those same, that same set of eyes. And so this is why we've chosen as a church to kind of deliberately walk through the Christmas story and, and to think about the people that are around us. And this Advent, the invitation for you is not to run from your obscurity or your life of humility or your feelings of insignificance, but actually instead to lean into those feelings. Now that sounds counterintuitive. Aren't we supposed to pull ourselves by our bootstraps, get out of the, these feelings? No, lean into them. And know that no matter where you are feeling and what you are experiencing today, that right where you are, God wants you to know that he sees you. He's not waiting for you to do something someday or to be something you're not. That God looks just as he did on Mary. He looks at the humble and the obscure and he invites us into his great story. And so lean into your ordinary life this Christmas season. Because this is good news, that God sees you, that you are not unknown, that your life matters. And in this moment, as we understand that, that's when God gives us joy. Because who we, what we've accomplished is not dependent I should say God's love is not dependent on what we've accomplished. We can rejoice in him and delight in him. Like Mary, maybe we can worship fully. Now you're saying, well, hey, I'm not Mary. God didn't exactly pick me to be his mother, especially if you're a guy. That's true, right? But in the end, Christmas is about the incarnation, which is what? God seeing humanity, seeing all of us becoming one of us. God, the center and creator of all things, present and eternal. He dissolves into obscurity 2,000 years ago so that we would know our significance as his sons and daughters. The incarnation is God saying, being human, being alive is important. It's significant. It's important enough that I, God, would become like you, human. 
become alive in human flesh. And so the invitation of Advent is to wait like Mary. For the God who sees and breathes meaning and significance into our lives. To fear him as the one who acknowledges and acknowledges who brings life. And then to respond in worship. And so as our church, this is our desire this Christmas to tell the story of the God who sees us, but who also sees the world. And to celebrate the Christmas story by doing the same. Giving ourselves in worship and service to God and to others. And that's why this Christmas we want to worship fully. We want to spend less. We want to give more. And we want to love all. And so this Christmas, I want to encourage us to to think about these things. One of the traditions that that, uh, we started several years ago is every week of Advent, so there's four weeks leading up to to Christmas Eve, we as a family decide a place to give. In some years, we've given uh, the gift of an animal to a family in need in a different part of the world. In some uh, cases last year, we we found an organization that helps um, small businesses, in particular women that have been marginalized or that have come out of tough situations that are trying to provide for their families, and you can buy products directly from them to help support them. So we've, we've chosen to, to buy those products to give as gifts to our family. In some cases here in our local community, there's an or, um, a wonderful organization called Vision House that works with homeless families. And right now you can adopt a homeless family to give them some things that they cannot provide for themselves. And so on our church website, there's some places, some recommended places that you can give in this Christmas season. And when we give outside of ourselves, and we give not just stuff, but purpose and meaning, then I think it recaptures the heart of this season. So I would encourage you again to check that out on our, on our church website, sunsetcommunity.church, just for those ideas. And as we kind of journey together in these seasons, it's okay if you feel alone. It's okay if you feel insignificant. I have Aaron and Tiffany come up right now. Mary's song is an invitation to remain where you are. To not feel like you have to to become something else, but remain where you are and trust. Trust that God is with you, forgiving and loving and calling you to him. And God is inviting you into a greater story. Not only has God seen us, but he has seen us and given us his life. And we remember him this morning by worshiping him in song. And by remembering that he gave his life for us. So let's stand together this morning and let's come and remember. Let's come and worship our God who came into human flesh and brings us significance and life again. This Advent season, let's worship fully the God who sees us and who loves us.